Hello, hello, hello. This is another episode of the Mental Threads Podcast. I'm here with my guest, Stepper. It's just Stepper, right? Yeah. All right, nice. Stepper from uh, New York and everything. I was just listening to his project, uh, The Steppers. Um, pretty dope project. I haven't listened to the full thing uh, all the way through, but it's like I feel like I was hooked on a, a couple songs on it. Um, one of the main songs that really uh, stood out to me was the song that had the whole... Um, the whole Street Dreams instrumental or uh, All Eyes on Me instrumental. Um, yeah, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, Grifters. Yeah. But then I, also, there was also songs that I like. Um, uh, yeah, Grifters, hold on. That, is that a slang word or is that something you came up with? Uh, Grifters is a slang word. Okay. Uh, is it like an older slang word or is it like a new one? Um, It's old. It's something. It's an actual word in the dictionary. Okay, what what is a grifter really? A grifter is somebody who is almost like a panhandler. It's like the preacher who preaches for people to raise money but doesn't give people any tangible results on the offers they are offering in exchange for the money they're trying to raise. Some something like somebody who's who's just fraudulent, who talks a good game, um, talks uh, always trying to raise money based on charity and good causes, but never actually doing anything tangible for the people. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, I get it. So basically just somebody who be fronting, basically fronting like they give a damn when they don't give a damn all through. Yeah, yeah, but it, it's a specialty. It's a specialty in fundraising, though. It's a fundraising aspect to it that people don't understand. Okay, and then you just, uh, do you just apply it to all aspects of life? Like the whole grifter term, like can someone be spiritual grifters? Yeah,就是就是就是就是就是就是就是就是就是就是就是就是就是就是就是就是就是就是就是就是就是就是就是就是就是就是就是就是就是就是就是就是就是就是就是就是就是就是就是就是就是就是就是就是就是就是就是就
Um, school is also used as a grip. Opportunities in our neighborhood is used as a grip. It's used to keep us in a certain position in life so we're unable to free ourselves. Oh, wow. No, no, I feel that. No, for real. It's just, I feel like it's all just, um, I don't just connect with the system and everything. I know. Yeah. Would everything you, connects relate, with the system. Even, would, even would things that we think is you. Oh, sorry. My bad. No, you, you, yeah. No, I'm saying even things that supposed to be used to liberate us is actually a number, another form of a grip. Mm. Like some social justice movements are used as a grip. Um, some like of those. Lives matter. Yeah, there was a lot of grifting going on in Black Lives Matter. Now, Black Lives does matter. Um, in some instances, it doesn't. But we know that we love our Black people and we need to be liberated. But they use that term to grip over, over, uh, off of a lot of people in our community and also use their own agendas to put above and before our people. And those are another set of grifters as well. Okay, I see it, but it's just like so. Like when you say things like, "Oh yeah, black lives do matter," but then sometimes they don't. What do you mean by sometimes they don't? Sometimes, sometimes we and the people of our community ignore and neglect the issues of black people. Mm. Okay, no, I feel that, but it's like you know they say, "Oh, black lives sometimes don't matter." So I, I feel what you mean by uh, to that concept. But when you say like, "Oh yeah, black lives don't matter," it's like, "Oh yeah." Um, I feel like if you lose it in the contents of yeah, maybe sometimes we don't value each other and everything. Sometimes we do be absolutely like, like killing each other and everything, you know. To that degree, yeah. okay, I understand. Like it's kind of yeah, anti yeah. There's a lot of anti-blackness within the within the black community where you know we have uh we have our own issues with each other that it definitely needs to be handled. Yeah, most definitely. And what do you think we need to work on it specifically in order to like uh, get better in that direction? What are the main, main issues that are holding us back as a people? Well, I know one of the issues are where, you know, we, we can be very selfish. Um, we tend to become oppressors. We, we're very greedy. Um, and then we also, we leave our people where they at. Once we become successful or famous or popular, in one area. And um, we have anti-Black vitriol for each other. We also let other agendas take over our our beliefs, our belief system, our morals and our own integrity. We let the issues of white people come into our in our society. We end up start worrying about white people. Then we let our own culture um, um, distract us from being united as a people. Then we also let politics uh, politics can be very counterproductive. And then we also let money get in the way of how we handle business. And then when we're interacting with each other, whenever we do do business, um, we don't like to support each other. We like to keep our resource resources exclusive um, from each other. And we live in a society where each and every culture has their own network, chain, and system to help them operate and, and, and liberate themselves financially. So many of those things we don't do correctly. We do them incorrectly, and um, and uh, we do it with hatred, and, and we're always trying to compete compete with each other. Oh yeah, no, surely it's just like I feel like it's just that the whole bucket and uh, uh, crab full of buckets. Um, is, is it bucket in yeah. the crab? Is it bucket in the crab? No, crab in the bucket. Crab, yeah, crabs in. Yeah. We do, we do. 
Yeah, we know seriously. Like it's just I feel like it's just one of those things where we really need to work on as a people. And I just wonder I just yeah. like, what what exactly like I know it's like definitely it's the system and the plantation mentality, but it's like, you know, like we've been free as a people for a while. And I know the traumas, the psychological traumas and everything followed through also, but it's like even after that, we were very supportive of each other, even through Jim Crow and things of that nature. So it's just like, you know, for it to be like to the extent it is now where it's like people would really smoke somebody over like, you know, just yeah. money to them or just out of jealousy. Like I just, there's just somebody in my city that just got murdered like a couple months ago, uh, rest in peace, Jai SLT. And he was really on his way somewhere and everything. And he didn't do nothing to nobody. And they like just took his life away, you know, and they still have to figure out who did it. So it's just, it's really sad because it's like, you know, you, he had a really good energy to him and it's like, they still wanted to take his life away. And it's just like, what is up with this jealous mentality? It's like, it's things like that, that discourage me to try to like, Maybe I need to think like 10, 20 steps ahead and everything. And why it's just, that's why it's just like, I don't know. I, I got to move out of my town, man. I, I just got to move out. Yeah. yeah. I, was, I was also thinking about moving out of my town. I'm pretty soon. Uh, what, what town do you feel like you, you would consider uh, moving to if you couldn't like? I, I, think, I think Texas is looking really good right now. I think Texas is looking really good. Houston, Texas. Or California, I think California is also looking good, but probably Houston, Texas. You know, I just I just want to be around a whole bunch of black people. You get what I'm saying? And you know, um, you're not gonna get that in, in New York. You get that, but that New York is more diverse than it is black. I think it's equally diversified, and you know, in a diverse city, you're you're gonna encounter a whole bunch of anti-blackness versus. If you are living around a whole bunch of black people, you're not going to have to deal with it as much now. You're still going to have to deal with it because you also have people who are um, uh, anti-black for the cultures within a black community. Um, and, you know, and I, we talk about that a lot. You know, I talk about that a lot, actually, on Twitter before I even get to the Twitter space, because the Twitter, Twitter stuff is a whole different world. But many of the things that or I believe issues towards heading into the next year is trying to unify all black people. And we've had this notion that all black people are unified and it's certainly not true. Um, we also had this notion that when it comes to politics or like all Democrats are unified, that's certainly definitely not true. And it's actually more of a manipulative technique when it comes to the, the voting system and the party system uh, about things that we don't know about um, many people are, are working with politics and working with different cultures, um, perceiving as if they are unified so they can empower their own interests. Yeah, the perception, man. the perception of unity when it's the perception to get power, when it's actually the reality to get power. Excuse me. Yeah, no, no, I feel it's just, yeah, it's the saddest thing is it's becoming more and more apparent now. You know, I feel like back then it was just easier to hide. Um, mm -hmm. just hide behind the lines, but well, not too too easy, like because you know, like, but it's like now it's becoming more and more apparent that this whole the whole politics and in, in regards to like things like this, it's just it's just it's kind of like a joke now, like it's just a big parody, like it's identity just, identity politics. Um, you you want to get away with being racist, being anti-black? What you do? You hire a black one, uh, a black person. You can hire a black man or a black woman. You know, and White people have white people have known this technique for a while. White liberals they definitely love that technique technique as well as for a while. So 
and you know you do those things and you you create different relationships you could give the false perception of unity and then the the more you like the person who's being represented uh the the, the easier and the more things you're going to get away with when it comes to oppression techniques yeah man no seriously just the all types of uh, things that they push really like to keep us oppressed as a people and everything mm -hmm. it's just crazy because you wonder it's just like what would it take to really like reverse a lot of this and i know we're mostly talking about grifters and everything but i feel like that it really does bleed into like all types of aspects of society from the church um to black lives matter to politics and everything um, you know, I feel like I feel like when Black when Barack Obama was in office, I feel like we really should have really like pulled up to the White Office a little bit more often, really like demand certain things. You know what I mean? Yeah, but you know, Obama was Obama was an African, you know, and um, he he you know he 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 has a he has his own perspective, he has his own relationship with America that most Americans do. He was raised by yeah. a white mother. Yeah, exactly. So. Um, he has his own reality and his own perception of who black people are in America and what history they have encountered. Um, because I'm pretty sure Obama, you know, he doesn't know what it's like to be a, 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 a black man go, going up generations of pain and torture through oppression. Um, many Haitians understand this. Many um, Jamaicans even would understand this. Many um, uh, people from different countries who are black would understand this, but there's some Africans in Africa that would not understand this because not everybody grew up grew up in poverty that's black. So just because somebody is black, we sometimes might think the notion, you know, they're gonna understand where we we where we where we come from, and they're going to fight for what for for us, and they're going to be pro black. And now that that's not always the case, as you can see when we have Barack Obama. Um, he only was, you know, was he only wanted to be a president for all people. And that was that's a little bit of the anti-blackness when we talk about as we tend to put we tend to neglect the people who are at risk the most for the people who are slightly at risk. And we don't understand what issues need to be um, dealt with before we can move on to everybody. Oh, yeah, most definitely, surely. And it's just like, you know, we can talk about politics for like here and there and everything, but it's just like, I want to focus more on like you, uh, Stepper, the uh, artist. Um, yeah. What was, your, what was your background like growing up in, in New York and everything? Like, what part of uh, New York you grew up in? Brooklyn, Harlem? Yeah, uh, yeah. So we, could get, we could get into that, man. I've had a long, crazy life, man, ever since I was younger. So, ever since I was younger, I was formerly, I was adopted by my aunt. You know, I guess that's how I came through the uh, uh, foster care system. But I'm an African-American man. My family is African-American. Our roots are from down south, South Carolina, North Carolina. And then, you know, my parents migrated. Or I said migrated, but, you know, they moved to New York. And they had a history of also politics and working in the, in, in the social justice movement, in the civil rights movement. My grandfather was heavily involved in it. My mom was heavily involved in it on my um, grandfather's side and then the people on the other side. They were kind of just like everyday workers. And um, I grew up in the Bronx, New York. I, I was in Harlem for a lot of my life 
So 116th Street, and then I moved back to the Bronx. So I was from the Bronx to Harlem. But majority of my life, I, I was in the Bronx. And then when I was younger, you know, I had to move in with my aunt in New Rochelle. But, you know, I was kind of all over the place. So I'm just a real New Yorker from the Bronx. And as I was coming up through the Bronx, I was able to meet some very powerful, important people. Someone like um my my principal. And um, I used to link up with him after school. He used to teach me things that really changed my life around because my life was headed in a bad direction. But I eventually was able to meet him. I was also able to meet a social worker who really changed my life around and got me my first inter internship at a children's agency, at a foster care agency. So I did a lot of work in the foster care system. I created youth advisory boards all over the city of New York to give foster youth a voice who felt like they, they needed their voices to be heard. And I also wanted to create um, internal change and through the ACS agencies, because I believe there was a lot of things that, that could get done to expedite and overachieve. I believe that we had, um, I believe that the youth had the power to actually make, um, trans, trans, transform a lot of different things in, inside the agencies. I was actually keeping a lot of kids back, things like um, group homes and um, the criminal justice system, reversing a lot of the counterproductive things that were slowing down the process and the success of many foster youth. And I did that for about maybe 10 years. I've been doing that for a while. That was that was most of my professional life. I've even was no, I was even, um, I caught the attention of the White House when Obama was in office and, and Congress and senators. And I was able to meet with them a lot about a lot of the work I did. Um, spearheading many of the youth advisory boards. And then, you know, eventually I, be, I became an adult and I still wanted to stay in the field. So I did a lot of work in politics. And then when social justice, um, social justice change happened, uh, I would, and, and like, George Floyd happened. My life changed. I went from being a foster care advocate and trying to get more foster parents and make more foster kids successful. And then I was also trying to be a mentor, go inside the schools. I was a teacher for a while and um, working for after school programs and trying to change the young black kids' lives that were being um, disrupted by poverty and violence. Then when George Floyd died, I, I put everything on pause because I started making music when I was in college. And that's when I also started my kind of like foster care political career. And I, I always did slam poetry and I always did uh, music. So when I used to do music, it was just a hobby for me. And um, I was, you know, I was dipping and dabbing with it. I went by the name of Privilege B. Mm. That was my old AKA. So I, I grew up over the name of Privilege. And they used to call me Steph. But that was my childhood name. Okay. They called me Steph and Steph. And then it was Privilege. So I was doing that for a while while I was doing my hobby. George Floyd came. I put everything on hold. I put music on hold. I put the, uh, ch uh, the ch children's agencies on hold. And a lot of the personal stuff that I was doing to say, you know what? I really want to dedicate my life at this moment to doing something for George Floyd. And that's when I figured out I need to start uh, arranging protests. So, so I was always doing rallies, protests, internships for, pol for political Congress members. 
and um, different agencies. Then I just transformed all, I just changed all my skills from doing that to doing stuff in social justice. I started working with uh, uh, organization, well, not a movement called Breathe, which was like Breonna Taylor, Ronnie King, Evergana, and other other people. A legislation that was crafted to protect people who, to protect people from getting into those situations without police being held accountable. Things like making sure everyone has a body camera and if um, the officer did not have a body camera, his testimony would not be valid. So we wanted to implement things like that and then give police officers heavy consequences for not having body cameras on, um, being able to charge them with neglect of uh, police equipment and, you know, just small type of policies like that to make sure um, our people were protected um, uh, in, in the court of law when um, officers were trying to do dirty things and trying to get away with murders that they were committing in our cities. And this piece of legislation, you know, I wanted it to be um, I wanted it to go far and be successful and actually be passed so we can have uh, police legislation here in New York City and then create that nationally because it was a national movement. But I was I was spearheading the New York City movement with a few other men. So I really wanted to get black men all on the same page because I feel like we're just so divided when it comes to you know how we interact with each other. And I wanted us to, you know, I, I will. I just wanted to spread love. I just wanted to spread the Breathe Bill and the Breathe Act so we could create change in our criminal justice system. I believe in abolish, abolish, abolishing. I believe in reform and abolishing. Then I also believe in reparations for the descendants of African-American slaves here in America. So that's just a little bit about me, my upbringing and where I come from. And now when it relates to music, I just put my music career back on resume because I went through a whole lot of things this year that I that I just wanted to express. And, you know, there's there's some issues that need that needed to be dealt with. A lot of people were taking shots at me as a activist because, you know, during the social justice movement, I kind of made a name for myself in the streets, you know, trying to be a voice leading the charge. And um, I felt betrayed during the movement. I felt like I was stabbed in my back by a lot of people. And um, the music just steppers was just able to put me in my own zone where I'm able to forget, forget about all the pain, all the trauma. And then when I'm in that booth or when I'm listening to all these different sounds, I'm able to just feel so good and feel so wonderful. Like, I can't believe I, you know, I can't believe we're coming up with these amazing sounds. And also wanted to put on the record how I felt about certain things. So that's why I just started going to the studio because that was my first love. And even though I went inside the social justice movement, a lot of people didn't even know I, that I was an artist because I never cared. I never cared to put my music first. I always cared about doing the work that I do and the love for my community. But going and trying to do those things made me feel a lot of pain and I needed a lot of healing. So I think this album was able to provide me with healing. And I also think it could heal a lot of people who are pro-Black because I am a pro-Black artist. And I had a I had a lot of confidence in myself as well because on Twitter I created a platform for myself where I was able to be myself for the first time and voice and say what I wanted to say and people actually enjoyed it and started to follow me. Before 
I never had my own platform and I never had my own personal fans. Now, because I had the platform where, where, where I was able to create my own personal fans, I thought it was necessary to also, now I could actually put my music on the same platform that my voice is on. And um, that's how I launched and that's how I became a Twitter space host. And, you know, that's what also got me into the music, motivated to drop the album even more because I wanted to introduce who I was I wanted to introduce what the music was about. And this time I said, you know what? You know what I said this time? What I said, said I'm going to tell you what I said. I said, I don't care what anybody has to think about me being an activist and an artist. Because activists aren't allowed to be artists because of the perception of what labels and a lot of other artists think about that. So many, like I had... So many artists trying to give me advice. Listen, stay away from that activism shit, bro. If you're going to do music, just do music. Because of the controversy that comes with a lot of the things that I'm saying. Because I'm speaking about a whole bunch of white people who love hip-hop. They might may, may not love my hip-hop after they hear me saying I can't fuck with white people because they're evil. Or if it's talking about gender. And if it's talking about the division of the gender wars. I'll be positive there. But back yeah. on the whole comment about white people being uh, evil, <laughs> I, I think you want to re re retract that statement. Keep in mind, I, on the podcast, it's just I interview a whole lot of people, you know, from all types of races and backgrounds. So it's yeah, just, it's not yeah, necessarily yeah. white people that are evil. You know, I have no, no friends I'm who are like literally an like. I'm just giving an example because in slavery, when when slavery happened, I always talk about reparations. Yeah, and and we talk about the atrocities that happened to black people were evil. That was evilness. So. Yeah. That's but is why, it really white people that are being evil? Or is it the system? Because not no, every the, white person it's, it's the system as it's the system as well. But yeah. what I'm saying is, when you explain something, when you when you center black people around a conversation, and then you call out anybody, um, the first thing people want to do is say he is not allowed to. He we shouldn't be listening to him or whatever it is. And then and, and that's what pro. That's like when when Malcolm X first came out or. You know, when Martin Luther King came out, you know, a lot of people loved him and a lot of people hate, hated him. But I'm not saying, you know, everybody's evil. What I'm saying is we also have to look at, listen, if I'm saying we need to liberate black people particularly, and there's other people who can, who has contributed to those atrocities, um, let's not forget about those black people who need to be healed, right? Everybody, whoever it is, Let's let's fight against anti-blackness racism and let's fight for reparations. And I mean, yeah, reparations seem seem nice and everything, but it wasn't reparations that created a uh, Black Wall Street or that created like a lot of the HBCUs, where a lot of people can really, uh, which I can't really say an HBCU will pretty much reverse everything, but it really helps a lot of Black folk uh, on the right direction. You know, I'll say uh, since I went to North Carolina Central University, it really helped me more and more on my path. You know what I'm saying? So it's just it's just stuff of that nature, you know. It's just you know it's just just something to keep in mind. It's just I just feel like we can all do it as a people. Like you, there's a whole lot of black owned businesses in D.C. and Atlanta, and even in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And it's just like I feel like we need to go back to really relying on ourselves. Like you can still go to like Walmart every now, or Harris Theater every once in a while. But it's like, I feel like we need to really start uh, focusing on the economic side. I feel like you can only fight uh, economically. And I feel like we, we create uh, music that brings in a whole lot of revenue. 
Uh, we create a whole lot of things in pop culture that brings a whole lot of revenue, you know, with Michael yeah. Jackson and, you know, well, 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 you know, Tupac like that, said, JC. Tupac said reparations for my people. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Martin Luther King said, cut the check. Malcolm X said, we'll do reparations. Our ancestors came up with a solution to many of the problems that we were facing um, on, on record and on paper. And the resolution was reparations. That was one of the resolutions that they have. Now, we didn't have too many resolutions to white supremacy and the system of oppression here in America. One of the wall reparations. So should we look at one of the only resolutions and something that was actually owed to you? Like if we was able to prove that you could have sued somebody for damages for what happened to you a few years ago and you got lawyers and you got a system that was put in place by you and your family members, mm. are you just going to ignore it? Are you going to say, you know what, uh, I think I could do this without your help, sir, even though I, even though you're old, it? Yeah, I don't see why you would reject something that is the actual, actual, that is supposed to be made and is being made to solve many of the issues of oppression and capitalism, as well as something that you're old. I mean, I don't think that's the smartest thing to do. What, to pretty much um, ask for things that you're old is what you're asking? Pretty much. I mean, no, no. I'm telling you, like, no. If I owe you money, don't you want it? Of course, of course. But y'all, of course, Black American you, folks. You're not gonna. Are you gonna ignore it? Not gonna ignore it for sure. But it's just at the same time. It's like even as a reparations, not saying to ignore it, but we gotta put ourselves in an economical uh, uh, PowerPoint where we can at least build leverage. You know what I'm saying? I feel like the more leverage you can do, like with money and power, because keep in mind, this is a this is a capitalist society we're living in now. Every law that we have to abide to now, there's some type of profit off of it. You know what I'm saying? From we being only legal in a couple states, but not all of them, you know, uh, yeah. mass incarceration. You know, it's all, these are private institutions for mass incarceration. When you go to the Netherlands, they ain't even like that. You know what I'm saying? So it's just like, you know, they don't even try to rehabilitate criminals or anything. It just It's just another horrible situation. And I'm just telling you, that you I'm just telling it to you like this, man. That's why I said this whole reparation thing. Like, it's cool and everything, but it's highly, it's just too idealistic, you know? I feel like, realistically, we need to focus on really finding ways to build income and uh, really uh, find other matters we can do, we can use to actually um, build our credit up to actually own more things, you know, start more businesses. Because we well, have the capability to do so, mind you, but we just don't support each other, and that's the problem. It's just a yeah, well, well, the only problem with that is, is that um, that would sound pretty cool, what you're saying, right? But the only problem is, is that if you're giving away money to other groups, in the midst of you telling me we should do something else, then now it becomes, okay, now you're being disingenuous and you're just neglect. Because if you, you know, Joe Biden just announced millions of dollars to Indian reservations. Of course. And they yeah. give money out to the Asians over the Asian hate thing. So they give yeah, money so out if, to if, this to Israel. That's what I'm saying. If, if it's we just know, like, if we know it's something that could that can be contributed to, and we see money given out, like after slavery, the government gave free land out to slave owners. Yeah. 
And then they had slaves that they were just passing laws to disenvolve them from uh, ec economic opportunities on top of snatching and the snatching away of their homes and the discrimination and segregation and the Jim Crow that they did. While they were giving out free business opportunities to white people who are descendants of slave owners. Of course. So it's, it's shitty, you, but that's just the system. If, they if build I come system house, if I come to your house right now with a million dollars, you mind your business, everybody's doing their thing. And I give everybody money but you yeah. and your friend who's both black and you and your broke you and your black friend said, you know what? We're gonna make money another way. And everybody else made their money from getting money from the government. It just doesn't mentally for the African Americans, they're just not gonna understand you when you say, let's do something else. Yeah, you yeah, get what no. I'm saying? Like mentally, no, no, it would make mean. sense if money wasn't given out to everybody else and it wasn't continuing to be given out when black Americans were the victims of all the 90% of the oppression from 500 years, that that would make sense. But that is, like mentally, logically, it's not, it's not a good hill to die on. Yeah, no, 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 I know, I know. We can continue uh, this uh, conversation in the part two and everything is actually a very good conversation because I feel like, you know, whole reparations and stuff and we're like, what should we do? What should we do? You know, trying to build yeah. economical leverage. I feel like it's something that definitely needs to be discussed, but we'll just have to continue it up for part two because I don't, I don't want to cut, cut you off and everything like that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, most of that. We'll hop on in a little bit, okay? Just want to let you know, okay? Part two. Yeah. All right, cool. All right, hold up. All right, part two of episode 144, back on with Stepper. All right, uh, yeah. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, just what we were talking about, about the whole reparation situation. So pretty much where you're standing at is just like, uh, and the whole reparations thing is like, obviously we're owed a whole lot of money, uh, billions um, of dollars maybe. Um, but it's just, um, do you really think that they should give like the reparations money, like just as like money and everything? Can it just come in the form of like write-offs, maybe like a writing off our debt? Uh, improving our credit, you know, things of that nature. Just, what will reparations look to you like in, in your mind? It, it has to be something that everyone can use. And it has to be it has to be simple. It has to be something that we, we could all qualify for because providing a resource that um not, not everybody qualifies and they can't meet the requirements and the criteria, that's just going to cause more problems. So cash is the only way because everyone has to choose what they want to do with it. Because everybody's not in the same situation, so um, you have to, you have to provide cash. It can't be in can't be in the form of land because not everybody might you know everybody may not want land. Some people might already have land. Some people might not have any debt. Some people might have paid off a lot of their things already. So what everybody could use is more money. And yeah, money is one thing, but it's just like it's just it's so like how can I say unpredictable in the sense like because it's like okay you got it, but then it's just like really uh, everybody's mindset isn't the same in regards like where they're going to invest. Yeah, that, that, and yeah. that's that would be even the reason why you need to provide people with money because that's the receipt that they have something equitable that's valuable in this market because you can do. You can you can give them land, but it'd have to be cash and land, because we wasn't just old cash. We, we was also old old land, and 
none of that stuff is really important anyway because when you provide people with a resource, you just provide them with it. You don't you don't say, oh, should we give the Ukrainian uh, missiles and not tanks? Do they should get their tanks? Should we just give it to them for a short time? Um, because when they gave out free land and money to slave owners, they didn't they didn't worry about none of those things. Or when when they're giving away things to the Native Americans, yeah, they're negotiating, but they're getting cash and people are getting resources out here. So when when it comes, so we gotta have that equal standard and our equal mind the equal the equal mindset. When we do it for others, we also have to take that same initiative and do it for Black Americans and Black people. Yeah, man. Like, no, seriously. It's just, when it comes to the whole reparations uh, uh, situation, and when I feel like there's a lot of things that we could probably exchange. I don't want to say exchange, exchange, like, you know, like, bargain, but in terms of, like, you know, in terms of, like, in terms of, like, finding, like, a certain trade and whatnot, um... I mean, you can reparations is a package of a number of things. Yeah, it's that's not, what I'm saying. Like, I'm trying to figure out what would be a good package. Like, like yeah, everybody can agree. Look, everybody can agree with a money amount, but not everybody's gonna agree. Like, hey, I want to give you a minivan on the side. And then you start getting into, you start getting deflected from the original point because, of course, it has to be money. It has to. You have to give money. But if that's the only thing, then now that's negotiable. But you have to provide money because you're talking about um, 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 repairing for damages, losses, and financial issues. So you have to provide money because that's what the claim is, is. It is money. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely money. Uh, but it's just like you remember that episode of the Chappelle show when they all got reparations and stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's it was supposed like, to be like comical because right. like then all the record deals started like you know there were like a hundreds hundred record deals coming up, and so like you know all these other like weird uh, stereotypical things are going on for the black folks. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's you know that's all you don't know. It takes money to make money. It takes money to build wealth. If you don't give, if you take away, if you're always taking away the wealth and money from black people, then they're never gonna have wealth, and that's why. They came up with the plan of reparations because it's something that was actually old, and it's it's the solution to building for black people to build wealth. And um, there's data out there that says by in the next fifty years, the uh um black black Americans will have no wealth because the system is taken from them more than is provided. Yeah, no, seriously. That's why we really need to really wisen up and just focus on keeping the dollar within uh, the black community. Yeah, but it's not. That's why it's like I feel like yeah, like definitely we can get more loans, business loans. Like that would be also. No, no, you're not. You're not going to get any loans. That's why they're in the position they're in now. Yeah. That's why. Yeah, business And they've they've tried that. Trust me, black Americans are experts with the with the economy. Like we've we we're we're the ones who built the economy, mm-hmm. so trust and believe. There's not one idea you're gonna come up with that black people haven't tried already. It's not gonna happen. The only thing that you could come up with that hasn't been tried already is reparations. Yeah, reparation, and I think that's, that's, the, only, that's the only solution that nobody hasn't tried with black. Now they've tried that with other groups, and it's worked. They've they've negotiated that as well. They've done it with you know 
Yeah, I'd be wondering where the hell do they get all the money from. That's what I'm saying. They'd be acting like they have no money to give, and they'd be quick to give it to Asian folk and all these other folks. But if they gave us money, it would be an uproar. Like I never understood that. Yeah, many states are in a surplus of taxes. That's just the based on perception that you know we don't have money. But sometimes it gets out of hand because we start overpaying people in government, overpaying our defense budget, overpaying a lot of different budgets overpaying the police because we have it just because we have it you know um you know people kind of get greedy and then because we overpay so much we we forget that we we do have a backup account like the united states does have different accounts that they can go into um and they do have savings accounts and they do have different type of equity accounts they do have the money this is how ukrainians and afghans and other uh, other international countries, they pay them off, and you know they don't always pay them off fully. They, you know, they make payments, and that's the thing about paying reparations. You know, you can make a payment towards. Yeah, they can just make payments oh, over time. Like build up. Honestly, if I could, if we even even if it could be like versus money, like actual money, just lending it to like certain people or whatnot, I would rather just them just funding HBCUs. Um. Yeah, it, they've already, like what I'm saying is, why would you want to do something that has led to your destruction already? What, HBCUs? Yes. HBCUs led to our destruction? You're not going to optimize your success by telling, making people go to college because we've already been doing that. Uh... The reason why people go to HBCUs and colleges is so that they can make money. Right? The whole purpose of reparations is to give people the money they need to make money because of the wealth that was taken away. You need money to build wealth. The way you get a house is by going to college to an HBCU to go in debt. Why would you put somebody in debt to make to buy to get a house when you owe them money and you can just give them the money so they can go and get that house? I meant like in a sense of just like having us give us the the right technology and everything and just the right of resources and stuff all together because there's a lot of HBCUs that are closing. No, they're, down. Not, they're not giving they're not giving Black American colleges college opportunities like that. That's a rare occasion that a Black person from a a, a, a impoverished community graduates from an HBCU. That including. If he's a descendant of a slave, you don't even know if they're even black. If you go in there, there's a lot of white people that go to HBCUs. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of non-black people that go to HBCUs. So that's not addressing the people who we're talking about. Yeah. No, seriously, oh man, just... you could be helping white people and Chinese people and non-black people and Hispanics by saying by trying to negotiate reparations to HBCUs. Ain't got not all of it has to go to the HBCUs. I'm just saying like portions of it. Like I'm just saying yeah, like even, break it into pieces. You know what I'm saying? Like not everything has to not go one go place. back to black Americans. It's gonna go back to whoever owns the HBCU, which is going to be a white person. Uh yeah, that is true. There are some HBCUs that are owned by white folk and everything. Uh, yeah, man, that's crazy. I don't think not all HBCUs are owned by white folk. Yeah, but you didn't say which ones. If you say HBCUs. Funding, you're talking about giving money to white people. Uh, really? That's, so why you rather... can't, you can't, that's why we can't vaguely do something 
you got to do it for whatever cause and whatever is. That's why it's cash reparations. Because if you don't give the cash to the black Americans, it's going to go to white people. All right. So then if we had to give cash directly to black Americans, where would it go? Wherever they want it to go. Which would be... Which at least you gave it to the black people. Uh, Instead of good use giving of the it money. to something else, give it into another system that is ran by white people, at least you gave it to the black people. Now, if they go, they'll have the option to give it to whoever they feel want to, they want to build their wealth with. Like, they can buy a house. Uh, that house might... That house, they're going to be living in a house. At least they have that option. Now, if you want to give them a house or acres of land, you can do that, but you also have to give them cash. Because guess what? That house has to be maintained. You got They have to pay taxes on the house. So you, you're going to have to give the resource to the Black American. There's no other way around it. And that's the whole purpose of reparations, is to give to the Black American. Yeah, man. Homeownership especially uh, could really be helpful. In the long run, uh, yeah. especially like, I'm, 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 I grew up in like my family house, which I'm doing this uh, pocket of interview out of right now. And like, even though I'm thinking about moving to DC, uh, we we had talked about with my mom son. I think about maybe like maybe the house we give it to my younger brother since it's just like you know he was basically born here, but not born inside the house, but like he basically well, this is the only house that he's known like since like, like since he yeah he yeah and everything. And uh, it's just, it's just, it's like the prices, especially in Charlotte, because like you're you're from New York, right? You're 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 currently in New York. Yeah, yeah. And like you see here in Charlotte, there's a lot of people from New York, especially in places like uh New York, uh, Chicago, Florida, and uh, stuff of that nature. And due to the overpopulation, it's like it's home ownership is becoming more and more <laughs> complicated. If I get a house, what? I said, if I get a house, it'd be in Chicago. Oh, really? Well, why is Chicago out of all places? Chicago is beautiful, though. Chicago is just a beautiful place, man. I want to visit. I wish place. I knew. I wish I. I wish I known. I wish I would have known some people that lived there because Chicago is beautiful, man. I mean, that's just the thing about moving. I don't know anybody personally in DC or DMV area except like, okay, there's my uncle in Ball that lives in Maryland. And uh, my dad that lives in Northern Virginia, um, but it's just like um, I don't know, man. If you if you want to move someplace and it's just in your mind to just move there, like if your intuition tells you to go there, you should definitely go there. Is there anything else about Chicago that makes you want to go there? I know the Shit, one, man. Wow. I it's just it's clean, especially up in the city. It's whatnot, a clean right? city. I've never seen a clean city until I went to Chicago. You should pull up to Charlotte one day and like just. I should. I could do that. Uh, I got family in North Carolina. North Carolina is kind of empty to me, but I've never been to Charlotte, so. Yeah, no, trust me, Charlotte will definitely. I like. I like how definitely Chicago, in the middle. I like how Chicago is a really, really big city, and it's clean. Oh yeah, no, no, seriously, like that's that's I didn't know that about Chicago. I think about Chicago. I'm thinking about like gang violence and everything. <laughs> And all types of crazy shit. What are the main <laughs> ones? Is the gangster disciples that are in uh uh Chicago? I don't want to sound ignorant, but who's the main ones? I don't I don't even know. You don't, I don't even know. Even know. Um, I, I haven't traveled on that side of Chicago. 
So and, and where does your family stay here in North Carolina? They stay stay in uh Durham or Raleigh Gates. or something like that. Gates. They live in Gates. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, damn. Okay. Well, at least I got a reason to come down to North Carolina. How far is Gates from Charlotte? Uh, maybe an hour. Hour? Just an hour? Maybe. Oh, okay. Well, right. that that shouldn't be an issue then. Like, you could definitely commune here. The Charlotte area and everything. I mean, I'm not really the. I want to know what the music scene is like, but before we, before I guess after I get after I, because I definitely wanted to talk about this music to keep the people up to date. What's going on? Oh yeah, most definitely. We'll transition to that shortly. Uh, if I were to describe the music scene in Charlotte, it's like we're we're definitely on our way. But for me, I'm stepping out to go to D.C. and everything because I feel like there's more stuff going down over there. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And because uh, if you grew up here, it's just it's just there's always going to be a whole lot of jealousy type shit going on but if it's just if you're from out of town and you want to make uh you know i feel like there's more room for you you know what i mean because then you can tap in with a lot of upcoming artists like you know even on my podcast i've i've interviewed plenty of artists from charlotte you know what i mean and mm -hmm. i feel like i feel like i'm i'm so lucky to live into a time where it's just like where it's like it isn't like, you know, L.A. or like New York or like Miami, where it's like they already have like a very established hip hop scene and whatnot, um, where it's like we're still trying to work the kinks out of it. It's just it's kind of like, you know, the bucket of crass mentality we spoke of earlier. That's the stuff that kind of holds us down and whatnot. But if you like you just you pretty much stay close to like a very solid group of people and everything, lock in with some cool folk like you know then you'll be good you know like i know plenty of people in charlotte that are just chill as fuck i think what it is is that if people don't have money they will not work together they will not work together i mean yeah i mean i know you seem to have a huge connect with money uh situation and it's like yeah i feel your money makes the work go around like i can't even drop my next few projects unless i got the money to actually go to the studio and actually record it and then yeah. I'm going to do that. Like, that shit threw me out of balance this whole year. And I haven't dropped anything the whole year. And I'm just, I'm mad as shit. But it's like, you know, I thought things are going to get better because there was, like, a lot of legal matters I had to get situated to. Um, but it's just, just off jump and everything. Like, like I feel like our city in Charlotte is, like, a very, like, a underdog city. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're actually larger than Atlanta. Like, populous and landmass-wise. People don't know that. Um, but Atlanta's more popping because they have more, uh, I don't know if it's more money, but it's like, they have a whole lot more black owned business. That's one thing too, like style, culture, they're more, uh, re reflective of the times. They're more, I would, uh, yeah, I would, I, I don't, I, you know, I can't really compare cause I never been to Charlotte, but you know. I'm not a huge fan of Atlanta like that. I mean, I want to tap into Atlanta because at the same time, due to the influence in Atlanta, I feel like. That's kind of like our uh, Hollywood, in a sense, on the East Coast. It's New York and Atlanta. Like, you know, New York is like upper, like, adds yeah, more everything. That's like the, that's heart of America is New York. But then Atlanta, like, in this day and age, I feel like, it, like you know, I feel like that's black Hollywood. Because, like, you know, they got the whole Tyler Perry studios down there. And then they have all sorts of stuff going on down there. They even, uh, I feel like there's more opportunity for, like, uh, black growth down there. You know what I mean? So it's just mm -hmm. I feel like Charlotte as a whole really needs to take a note out of places like uh, uh places like Atlanta, uh especially. And uh, you know, another place we could definitely take note is uh the whole Michigan rap scene, you know, because like Michigan rap, like like especially Detroit, like I feel like they're the most competitive, but at the same time they're like the most like uh uh I feel like they're the most flexible 
in in terms of just like the types of rappers that come out of Michigan. You know, like you have a, a Michigan rapper that be like drop like the most hardest shit and be, still have fun with it. You know what I'm saying? Like I feel like that's I feel like that's I feel like they carry the true spirit of hip hop. Where just like you can be hard as you want to, but you can also just have fun with it. You know what I mean? And yeah. I, feel like, I feel like that's a no. We definitely need to take out, uh, you know, all set, all set and concern and everything. But it's like if you ever consider on maybe just tapping in on Charlotte and everything. And if I'm still in town and one night you want to hit me up, sure, we could definitely, I could definitely get you. Uh, I wouldn't say get you locked in, locked in, but I could definitely like you know just show you around, just see what, how you feeling about it. You know, show you some places, see how you feel about it. You know, like it's good to kind of step out of your hometown from time to time. You know what I mean? And like considering how we're about to Charlotte as a whole is really, really about to really go through a crazy metamorphosis this decade, it's better to really lock in and really, really invest in yourself in this time. You know what I mean? Like really, you can't slouch right now. You know what I mean? So that's just what I'm saying. But, but back on the home music thing, uh, I know you spoke about your influence of being Tupac, correct? Yeah. And in what other ways would you say uh Tupac influences you or what other artists influence you? I think his political mindset of not caring about what people think about him, the way he was able to express the oppression and voicing his pain without having to be too super lyrical, but just telling the story, that really that really inspires me to um, be more expressive in my music as well. Also, um, giving people that energy, that aggressive energy, um, you know, and that's why I made the song that I made. I'm called Grifters. It's one of the songs that you like. Um, I feel like people are going to be able that was gonna sink in on people, you know. I didn't I was just being myself rapping. I'm like, I know I, I gotta do this be some justice because this is Tupac's uh it's a sample from Tupac, which you probably sent somebody else, but yeah, I, I definitely was looking forward to you know, doing my thing and rapping and telling my story the same way he tells his story and just being a social justice influence on, on record. Because I'm, I'm really about that in real life. Most people who rap about it aren't about being pro-Black in real life. Man, most entertainers aren't. But my other influences, are, I probably would have to say, I like uh, Lloyd Banks, Pop Smoke, I think Pop Smoke brought an energy that I was feeling a lot, even though he was younger. And I and I I had a thing for stack bundles, but a lot of people don't know who that is. So I mean it is what it is. We all know a couple rappers that maybe not a whole lot of people know. And uh, you know, it's just it's just one of those, like, I know, like, one rapper I guess, my favorite rapper on SoundCloud uh, that isn't famous is Nasty Nas and everything. I think he dropped something a while ago. I need to check and see what that's that's about and everything, but... Yeah. Really, yeah I feel like I... I feel like I... I, I feel like I unlocked what I... I feel like I unlocked my rap skill on this album as an artist. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like this is the type of album... I, I should have put out maybe in one year. I kind of feel like I premeditated it and then dropped it a little too early because the quality is too good for people to not know about it. But at the same time, I also wanted to introduce myself to the world. And I feel like I'm going to be making more music 
and my next one is probably going to be even better. Oh, yeah, sure. And what will be the focus of your next project? The ladies. Oh, really? So you're trying to make it more uh, R&B based, like a trap soul based? Yeah, I, I'll probably head into, like, I want to start making songs like how they used to make in the 90s. Mm. How they had an R&B singer and then a dope-ass rapper coming to the chorus in a, in a verse and then go back with the R&B singer. I feel like hip-hop straight went away from that. From having more of an R&B influence? Yeah, like hip-hop to rap. Hip-hop and rap songs. Like, you know, having an R&B song with dope rap, dope rap lyrics. <gasps> oh, yeah, no, definitely. Like, for I feel like, do you feel like maybe rappers need to start collaborating with R&B singers a little bit more? Well, if it's not meant to be, it's not meant to be. Because not everybody has the sound or the ears for it. But I, I, mean, I, I know it's missing. Maybe it's just not. Like, when Future, Future used, you know, Future doesn't, you know, with um other rappers, but he's just not R and B. Like he has wait for you. I mean, you know how party next door and make a song with Drake. But I just feel like it's more it's still more trap soul. It's not it doesn't give me that R and B influence like they did when Ja Rule. Yeah, no, really. Records with Ashanti. Like just classic records like that. Yeah, no, no, that ass, like for real. Like I feel like on, on the same token and everything, it's just like I feel like there's not a whole lot of R and B singers like they used to be. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like I feel I like we need more. We need more Jagged Edge. We need more uh, Boys to Men. We need more TLC. We need more In Vogue. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's like the list goes on. Like, I feel like we're just missing. You know? Yeah, um, we know. I I don't think that I I don't think that we should go in that direction and spread that narrative like that. The only reason why is because there's so much talent. But it's control. You got to buy your way into the industry nowadays. So we only know so many people because the music industry is so is up for sale. Yeah. And we all we all look for music from the music industry. And the music industry is owned by people who are not us. And people and, and so the people who are running it that are us, they want us to pay our way in, in inside it. Mm, I mean, yeah, I feel like there's truth to that to a certain degree, but I feel like things are changing now. So we're like, I feel like rappers can be a whole lot more independent with whatever art they put out there. Like, there's be whole rappers putting out a, a whole lot of stuff that yeah, but you're might not going to kind of alternative and like yeah, but you're not going to know about them. You're not going to know about them. Like, you if you're talking about them having a lot of Instagram followers, a lot of streams, you'll never find out about that artist. I mean, maybe he'll be on the other side of the world in a small little town. He might not be even selling out any shows because he could become popular online. Maybe. A lot of artists can't sell out shows. I mean, yeah, that's why I feel like maybe the one person pretty much uh, study or maybe check in with is uh, Russ, for sure. I think uh, Russ has, like, a story that is, like, I feel like it's definitely something I feel like a lot of people need to check in with, especially rappers who really want to make this stuff work, because dude was dropping project after project who was making no traction for a while, and now he's selling out stadiums and everything. So it's just, it just goes to show that you just got to keep pushing until like you make uh, that traction. Some people can be, like drop a country uh, cowboy hip-hop song and go viral, and then that's how their career begins. 
and then they could blow up right off that and everything. Like I think uh, Lil Nas X put on like like twenty five dollars for that beat, and now it makes and then it went diamond. You know, just because it was like a meme song for a little bit, and made a whole lot of remixes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so but I'm that's that's, that's not that's not most artists. You know, that's one out of every thousand artists they go viral, but. I, I know there's a there's a whole lot of uh, of agenda with it, but for my case, really, I'm not I'm not really shooting to just blow up just to blow up. You know what I'm saying? Like I want to mm-hmm. refine my craft, and build the best product I can, so that people can get lost in my catalog. You know, because that's how I got into Kendrick and J Cole. They were dropping mixtapes for years, even like when I was in middle school. I didn't really hear much about them until I was in high school, and then I look back at their catalog, and that's what really had me cemented as their fans. You know what I'm saying? It's mm-hmm. just it just goes like that, like just listening to like um the overly dedicated section eight eighty uh tapes from like Kendrick Lamar and even earlier to that and even with J Cole with like the warm up um the come up and everything and just uh Friday Night Lights you know like all those mixes he came in so hard with it so it's just like you know it's just like like the hunger was just there so it has you motivated too you know what I'm saying. And that motivates you to listen to more songs, all types of songs and stuff of that nature. So it's like, I'm in a wonderful stage of my career right now where it's like, you know, yeah, I dropped like one mixtape, but like, you know, I'm more focused on just putting more and more content. And then like the more content you put out, the more you put yourself out there, the more it would just come up that you earned it. You know what I'm saying? So it's just like, you know, it's even whether you blow up or you make a whole lot of money about it, whatever, just it's the journey, bro. And then whatever comes through with it, if it, if it turns into something great, wonderful. If it doesn't turn as best as you wanted it to be, that oh well, at least you tried. And that's that's kind of my mindset when it comes to this, you know. Like that's just that's just it. If that makes sense. Yeah. So it's just uh yeah, stuff like yeah, that. I feel like that's what and it took me a while because I've been making music for a long time, but I put together I tried to put together the best quality work that I did this album. And you're good. You're damn good with it too, man. I can't wait to hear like more of your stuff too and add it to my playlist and stuff. It's just it's you can only get better. That's the best part about it. So it's just like when someone really does discover you and then see how you came up and listen to all your old songs, be like, dang, bro. I wh- are you shooting to get signed or do you just do you want to just be independent? I want to. No, I, I'm shooting to get signed. Yeah, uh, uh, because I think what I want to bring to the game is bigger than music. And if, if I got to press music, I'm willing to do that. Okay, I, I see that. I mean, a part of me wanted to get signed at one point, uh, or shouldn't get signed. Um, I'm more focused on just gaining leverage. So, if, like, I can sign, like, a partnership deal. You know what I'm saying? Like, Russ with Sony or XS Tentacion with Epic Records. You know what I mean? Like, let me keep my creative control. Let me drop whenever I want to. Um, or drop however I feel like I'm obligated to, but have, let me just have the creative control um, held together so that, you know, like, I can still, like, build that relationship with my fans and whatnot, you know? I feel like building a bigger fan base is going to be more your lifeblood than just, you know, blowing up and, you know, and just giving a whole lot of money and resources, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I feel like we live in a wonderful time where you can do that. You can do it through YouTube. You can do, like, just how you spoke of, like, the Twitterverse on your end. And then it's just, like, Instagram, too. Like, it's just, like, you know, once you really re- reach to a point where you're doing other things, where you write articles, blogs, whatever, you do whatever you got to do, uh, you can definitely get that uh, situated whole and whole um, just to connect with your fan base and make sure that your content is put there. 
out there like that. Uh, what are your goals uh, for next year in 2023 or 2023, 2024, 2025? Like, what, what's your three-year plan going forward? Probably just videos. Do some what? Videos. Oh, yeah, most definitely. You haven't dropped a video yet? No. Yeah, that's on my bucket list, too, this year. For real. And, and, and um,
um, the name of Stepper, the album is Steppers. Um, we call it, um, spell Stepper, S-T-E-P-P-E-R. Um, you can look me up. Vino, Vernacular, also artist. It's out everywhere on all streaming platforms, on all digital platforms. You will not be upset. I'm what the game needs. I'm bringing back lyrics. I'm bringing back hooks. And I'm bringing back hip-hop. We just newly innovated with it. And we just got a whole bunch of a, a whole bunch of love for the Black community that I'm also going to be contributing to in the near future. So look forward to, to me speaking out against the grifters, the thieves, and, and, and spreading the message to get our people to revolt and cause a revolution to free themselves from oppression. Yeah, most definitely. I feel like you, you can definitely push those directions and put those messages out there for sure. All right, that's it for the Mental Threats Podcast, episode 144. We're sewing in and now we're sewing out.